So turn to James chapter 2. And uh, Steve Brown, you're back there. Yeah, well, I'm going to be pulling from your passage as well. So I, I faced the same problem that Steve had, which was these really do go together. Verses 14 through 26 um, really do belong together. And frankly, you can't really explain the second part of that, um, verses 18 through 26, which I'm covering, without going back to uh, verse 14. So I'm thankful for the foundation that Steve laid, and we're going to be bouncing back to that just a little bit. Um, The reason why I say that is because, as we read here in verses 18 down through 26, he's answering a question. And that question is contained there in verse 14. Uh, So we're going to be coming to that as well. Let's turn and read together James chapter 2, verse 18 through 26. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Father, we pray that you would take your word, help us to change because of your word. Let the lesson that we hear from your word tonight be the mechanism of that change. We ask that the Holy Spirit would use your word to change our hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So James asks a question in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, Why good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? So he's asking a question. Can a faith without works be a saving faith, a faith that shows that someone is safe? He's asking the question, can a faith that does not produce works be considered saving faith? That's the question that he lays out for his audience. And he provides the answer. That answer is a faith that does not produce works is not true faith. He says this in verse 17. If you look there in verse 17, he comes out and he says, um, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then look in verse 20. He says, faith apart from works is useless. 
Then look in verse 24, and he says there, um, do you not see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone? And then in verse 26, he says it again, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So we see he's making this point that a faith that does not have works is useless. It is dead. He is answering the question uh, through this point in these four verses that we've mentioned here. What I want us to do is ask the question, so is James saying that you must have works to gain faith? And then finally, the main point of our lesson tonight is why? Why is James making this argument in the first place? And that's where the rubber starts meeting the road in our lives and we arrive at some application. But in order to understand the theological arguments taking place in this, we need to look at four words. And these are the most used words of import in the passage. The words faith, the words work or the word work, justify, and then there's uh, two words that are one word, uh, apart from. So faith, works, justify, apart from. If we understand these words and how they connect together, then the theological argument that's being made becomes clearer for us. So what is that? What is the definition here? Well, faith in this context, is much the way we use the word now. Someone will say, well, I lost my faith, or this is my faith. When we think of faith, faith can have a very personal thing where faith is something that you exercise. I have faith that God will do this. That is a type of faith. That's the faith that... um, we enact, we carry that out. But faith is also something that we receive. We are brought into the faith. We are given faith when we accept Christ. That is what we use in our terms today, the faith. So when James is talking here, he's talking about the faith, this fellowship that we are in, this power that we have by being believers. Um, It's a defining faith. It tells us that we are believers. Those who have this faith, those who are in this faith, are believers. And then works. Works, pretty clear, we would think, you know, it's deeds of righteousness. And I think that's, we focus in on that. These works are good things that we do. And Pure religion and undefiled, as James says in chapter 1. Those are pretty clear. So far, everybody's probably with me. Yeah, I know. I understand those terms. Where we kind of get thrown off is with the word justify. Because that's where faith and works come together. And he talks about, you know, are you justified by your faith, your works? Does, do your works justify you? And he's like, yes. And so, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> That's not what I've been taught. I've always been taught that we're saved by faith alone and there's no works. We don't come into the faith because of our works. 
The way I like to describe this to people that I think helps to understand it is when we think about the justification that we receive from God, think about it in all capital letters. Justification. This is the the legal standing that we have, that we have been justified through the work of Christ. So it doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. It doesn't matter about anything external to me. The only thing that is important when it comes to big letter justification is that Christ died for me and he justified me. That is something he did. And no one has any say on what he did in my life. But then we come to the little letter justification, justify, which is what we're talking about here. Um, Whenever I would, we just, the budget's right there in front of you. And you have the budget and you're looking at the numbers and you say, well, you're, you're putting this much money toward this particular item. How do you justify that? Can you show me how you arrived at that number? Can you show me why I should vote yes on this budget? What's your, what's your justification for that? What is the case that you're going to make that this is how we should be spending the church's money? That's the little J, little justification. It's a proof. So what James is saying here is that works are the justification, the case that you make, that you have faith, that you are in the faith. So in that case, if you have and are in faith, in the faith, then you will have works that make the case for the fact that you are a believer. So then people around you can look at you and say, yes, that person is a believer. That's very important in the church because that's part of the church's role is to say who should be considered a believer and a part of this community and who should not be. So when the church looks at you, they are looking for the little j justification. If they don't see it, this membership cannot offer confidently that that person is in the faith. That's where the little j justification becomes an external thing. It's what people know you to be. God knows what's in your heart, but your works show other people what is in your heart because they don't have the eternal view that God has. The other thing that I mentioned was apart from, and I think this is an important word that appears here as well. It appears uh, at least three times in the passage here. It's that faith doesn't exist apart from works, and works don't exist apart from faith. They are together. So if you have one, you're going to have the other. And again, we have to quantify qualify this true faith. True faith brings about true works. And true works are evident of a true faith. 
you can have hypocritical works and not have a faith. You can make all kinds of statements about your faith and have no works to back it up. These go together. If you have one, you're going to have the other. It isn't that you have to get works to have faith. It's if you have faith, you have works. Um, I like to say that you have, where there is faith, there is flame. There's a fire. That fire might be a little smoldering fire, or it might be a raging fire. But where there is faith, there's going to be fire, and that fire is your works. And so as believers, we need to be looking at each other and saying, where are your works? And if we're not seeing it, then we need to be challenged to help each other to grow in, all right, well, are you a believer? That's why we practice church discipline. If someone is living in unrepentant sin, the church has to say, we cannot consider you to be a believer because you are not showing the fruit of a believer. Now, does that mean that the church can see into that person's heart? No, but God doesn't hold the church to what's inside your heart. God holds the church to, are you following in obedience or not? And the church has to make the decision on that. So it's important that we are living in faith and showing works. To put James' position in our words, he is saying, people will consider a person who claims to have faith and has works produced by that faith to be a believer. So does that make sense? So... Are we justified, big J, justified by our works? Yes or no? No. Um, are, do we have a responsibility to be justified in our works to the people around us? Yes or no? Yes. That's what James is saying in this passage. If you are a believer, you are going to have works. Having works does not make you a believer, but if you are a believer, you are going to have works. It's impossible to live in true community of faith without a faith that is empowered by the grace of Jesus. If you want to live in this community, you must have a faith that is empowered by Jesus. James asks us to consider four examples to prove his point. First, he gives us two negative examples. And that is, these are claims and even belief that are not signs of true faith. The first one is what I would call the inconsiderate church member there in verse 15, where he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? And then he says, one of the four times, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James is saying, if you see someone who has need, you can talk all nice and theological all you want about how God is going to supply people's needs. But if you have something back here in your wallet where you can actually help the person and be the hand of God, 
in meeting that need and you don't, what, what is that? What's worth of that? Your faith is worthless because you're not living the faith. If you had true faith, you would at least have your conscience speaking to you saying, what about that, that money in your wallet? Are you going to help that person? The believer is going to be led to work, to work out the faith that they have. And then there's the demons. Uh, this inconsiderate church member, words alone do not show faith. But the demons show that belief alone does not show faith. They believe there is a God, but they don't believe that God is who he says he is. Their belief, and they, are, they tremble, they are fearful of God. It has not changed them into obedience. They are still rebellious and disobedient, even though they know who God is. So it isn't enough just to say, I believe God, you must have the faith that moves you to act and say, because he is this God, I will obey him. Belief is not enough. Belief that leads to obedience is a proof of saving faith. And then he gives us two good examples, people that we should be following in examples One is Abraham, and one is Rahab. And this is the believing faith produces validating works. So we look at Abraham first, and we have the story of Abraham and Isaac. And it says here, and this is another one of those passages that gets people confused, because it says it was counted to him as righteousness. Now it's interesting because the story of Isaac isn't the first time that Abraham is obedient to God. When God first came to Abraham, he said, he made the covenant with Abraham, and he said, I want you to go to this land, to this city, and you don't know where it is, but I'm going to lead you there, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. What did Abraham do? He stepped forward, and he left. He did it. And there are other times where God came to Abraham and expressed the covenant and Abraham believed. But here we come to this point where it says um, that God came to Abraham. Abraham believed it was counted to him as righteousness. The interesting thing about Isaac's instance with Abraham is that Abraham, back in that passage, it says that God tested him and that Isaac was a test. All the other cases, that isn't what God was doing. God was just saying, here's my covenant to you. This is the only instance where God comes to Abraham and it's a test of his faith. And I was thinking about that and I went back to the first part of James and what is the first part, the first part of the first chapter of James? What is the topic that's being discussed by James? Anybody remember? What's that? Trials. Trials. Was not God sending Abraham to sacrifice his own son a trial for Abraham? How did Abraham respond? He responded the same way that James was telling believers that we should respond when trials come. And that was proof that Abraham 
was God's man. So it couldn't be that God was saying that that moment it was counted to him as righteousness because Abraham had already done this a couple of times before this moment. He was always obedient to what God had told him to do when God gave him the covenant. So this is a proof. People could see that he took Isaac up to make that offering. And they could see that he came back with Isaac. So just as we talked about earlier, that other people could look and see your life. This was a small letter justification that Abraham was doing. And that is why James is offering us this example, because it's an example to prove his point. And then Rahab, which is really interesting as well. Um, Rahab, why on earth? Is Rahab in here? Well, I think it's very beautiful because Abraham, you're like, well, yeah, Abraham, you know, the father of Israel. Sure, he would be there. Well, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a Gentile. And yet James uses her in this example. And I don't think it is happenstance that he did this. She is there because Abraham is the other example. The Gentiles, the Jews, a God wants all of us to show our faith in our works. We are all justified by him. We all have this opportunity to glorify him in our works. But there's another interesting thing about Rahab, and this is where I want us to now kind of shift a little bit um, in making our application. Let's go back to that first instance, verse 14, where it says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James, the book, is all about living in this community. It's about living together as believers. As a matter of fact, once you get past that first chapter where it's talking about our reaction to God's placing trials and testings in our lives, from that point through, it's talking about how we relate to each other. And I don't think that it is... um, just stuck in here, this thing about faith. Well, we need to have a nice little theological discussion right now about works and faith. No, James is saying, I'm telling you this because you need to know this related to your living within this community. And so in verse 14 and 15, he starts off and says, here's how you guys are living in community. Or you aren't paying attention to the fatherless and the widows. That's true religion and undefiled. Uh, You are showing partiality. You're getting hung up on people who can give you something. And now he gives this example of an instance where there's someone who can't do anything for you. You have to show them love, not expecting anything in return. And the foolish person, the person who doesn't have works that's backed up by faith, they say, be warm and filled, go on your way. We end here with Rahab. What did Rahab do? 
Rahab had men come in, they were, you know, they were going to get killed. They had no power. They, they were looking for a place to hide. And Rahab took them, and her knowledge of God, what did she know about God? She knew the story of what God had done for the people of Israel. And she said, I believe that God. And because I believe he is that kind of God, I'm going to hide them. And I want to do that, not so that I can earn favor with God, but because he is that kind of God, and I'm going to protect them. I am going to show protection to these people who need it. She is not the foolish person like we saw in the first part. So it's very interesting how it starts this treatise on faith and works with someone who has an opportunity to help someone who is powerless and says no. And it ends with someone who has really no power in and of herself, but she helps the person who needs it. And that is faith that works. That is a faith that offers proof of what is happening. And that is why James brings this forward to us. In the first verse of chapter 2, he brings the argument within the church walls as he shows worthless religion, illustrated by partiality and despising of those who can provide you no benefit. And then he continues it through. Let's go back to verse 26 and 27 of verse chapter 1. If anyone thinks he is religious, if anyone thinks he is in the faith, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. His faith is dead. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what I want to close with tonight is just to challenge you. We all get hung up on the theological arguments of this passage that we've looked at tonight. But James is not here to make a theological argument. He is making the argument to you to live out your faith. That your faith, if it is not being lived out in all the other ways, you know, I mentioned up to this point already in verse chapter one and chapter two, he gives examples of how you're supposed to live out your faith. He continues that into the rest of the book. He's saying, do these things because you have a faith that leads you to that. So, do you know a widow? Are you willing to reach out to that widow? Um, it's been said that the worst, the greatest enemy of a widow is loneliness. It doesn't take taking uh, a meal. It can be just going and sitting down with someone for a few minutes and showing love to that person. Uh, what about someone that you see really does have a need? Are you willing to reach out to that? That is faith working. Let your faith work so that other people can see it, so that the body can confirm and say, yes, that person is a believer. But that faith must be a faith that is empowered by Jesus Christ.